Warning, although this podcast revolves around Disney, Disney movies, and Disney-related themes, we have a tendency to use mature language, which is not suitable for all ages. Discretion is advised. Ladies and gentlemen, it is time for another edition of the best damn Disney podcast this side of Toronto. It's time for another edition of the Ocho and Ortiz Disney podcast. And this week we're talking about a movie, a documentary that we've been hyping up for a long, long time. Well, at least a month, month and a half maybe. We're reviewing the Howard documentary. So without further ado, let's get this stuff started. Buddy Josh, how's it going this week? Oh, it's a going, you know. I'm I'm here, ready to talk some Disney again. You know, I love it. Yeah, we are both here. You know, it's a beautiful week. Our Patreon, our, our Patreon is finally up and running. We are recording this on August 9th, so we actually we're gonna release the next, the last episode that has been released as of this recording. The most recent episode that was released was our review of Oliver and Company. And then we've already recorded our review for Descendants 2. Fantastic review. We, we recorded that last week, August the 2nd. However, th- I think this episode is going to release before Descendants. Because we did a lot of Disney Renaissance a- animation Renaissance movies leading up to Howard. So I think we'll, I think we'll release Howard and then we'll, we'll release Descendants after that. So, Descendants was actually going to be episode 13, but it's now going to move and become episode 14. But I I do just want to quickly say on the last episode, you and I were talking about how we've hit 200 downloads on Podbean. I think at the time of the recording, we were at a total of 234 downloads on Podbean. As of this recording, on August the 9th, we are officially at 277 downloads. So by the time this episode comes out on August the 23rd, we should have already passed 300 downloads. So again, to everybody that's listening to this ep- to this podcast, we absolutely appreciate you. We thank you for, for all of the downloads, all of the support. And speaking of support, the best way you can support us is by following us on our social medias at Ocho Ortiz Disney on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Ocho and Ortiz Disney Pod or Instagram at Ocho and Ortiz Disney Pod. We also have a TikTok that I'm trying to post more videos to. It's pretty much just clips of uh, clips from the show to give highlights of what's going on with current episodes. So you can go to TikTok and search for at Ocho and Ortiz Disney Pod, I believe. I think all of our social medias other than Twitter is at Ocho and Ortiz Disney Pod. And of course, we're on most major podcasts and platforms. We are on Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and our main source of uploading is Podbean, Ocho and Ortiz Disney Pod.podbean.com. And guys, as we mentioned in the Oliver and Company episode, at the time of the recording, our Patreon wasn't up and running, but as of right now, it is up and running. And for the first month, anybody that becomes our patron on any of the tiers, we have five tiers. We have a $1, $3, $5, $10, and $20 tier. So anyone that becomes a patron on any of the tiers for the month of August is going to be entered into a giveaway to win a, ooh, you can't really see that, that camera's not com- picking that up too well, but it's a 1,000 piece puzzle of 101 Dalmatians. So if you become our patron in August, you're automatically entered to, to win that. No matter what tier you pledge after August, our giveaways are going to be exclusive to anyone that donates $3 or more. Of course, if you, if you want to become our patron, you can go to patreon.com 
slash Ocho and Ortiz Disney Pod. But of course, the best way to support this show for free, if you're unable to become a patron right now because of the COVID crisis, is just to share the show. We've given you the socials. We've told you where to find us. Listen to us. If you like the show, please tell your friends about us and let them know where you can find us. Also, quick shout out. I found another podcast recently on Twitter. It's called Danny's Dugout, D-A-N-I, Danny's Dugout. It's a couple of chicks talking baseball, more specifically Yankees baseball. I'm repping the Mets because fuck the Yankees. I'm sorry, Danny. But shout out to Danny's Dugout podcast. Go check them out. They've done 64 episodes. I've listened to two episodes so far. And if you're a baseball fan, if you're a Yankee fan, you're going to love it. Even if you're not a Yankee fan, there's going to be parts for you to enjoy. And speaking of shout outs, I want to give another quick shout out to Josh's secondary podcast, Brews with the Crew. This past week, you guys just surpassed 100 downloads yourself for that podcast. So congratulations, Josh, Naz, and I'm sorry, I forget the third guy that's a part of the podcast. But congratulations to you guys. Thank you, man. Thanks. That that one's a lot of fun to do, too. You know, it's literally just three friends, me, Naz, and Arvin just shooting the shit, having some beers. And- Arvin. Sorry, I forgot Arvin. My bad, Arvin. <laughs> it's all good. Yeah, thanks, man. It's uh, uh, That one's fun. And we're I got Naz, though, and he's the most important one. He does the recording <laughs> and the editing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He does. But uh, on that one, we are now on everything. Spotify, iTunes, all, all that fun stuff. Ooh, Check spe- it out. Speaking of being on everything... I recently got an email this past week from Amazon because Amazon Music and Audible are going to start putting out podcasts soon. And we've got an exclusive invite to submit our podcast for Amazon Music and, and Audible. So there's no guarantee that we'll get on there, but we got the email and I have submitted our podcast. So hopefully soon you guys will be able to listen to us on Audible and Amazon Music as well. Sweet. That'll be fun. Yeah, it absolutely will. But without further ado, as I said right off the top, this week we're going to talk about something that we've been promoting for quite a while. It is a Disney Plus exclusive. The film was originally released on sort of the film festival circuits back in 2018, but it didn't get a wide release until now. So it just came out this past Friday, August the 7th, Howard, the documentary on lyricist Howard Ashman. Josh, what were your initial thoughts going into this movie or this documentary, I should say? Uh, I was super excited when it was announced. I didn't know, actually, that it was something that was circulating in 2018. I didn't know that until you just said it. But I was super excited about it. You know, we learned I learned of him. I think you might have, too, from Sleeping Waking Sleeping Beauty. And yeah, no, seeing that and, you know, there are still a few clips in this movie from from Waking Sleeping Beauty as well. But like it's I was super excited for it and I, I really did enjoy it. Yeah, I mean, you bring up Sleep Awaken Sleeping Beauty, a movie that we just reviewed a couple of episodes back. I think it was episode eight. No, episode 10, because we did it after Maleficent and Maleficent was episode nine. So Awaken Sleeping Beauty we was our 10th episode. And Howard was was produced and put together by the same person that put together Wake and Sleep and Beauty, Don Han. He was mm-hmm. he's been the executive producer on a ton of Disney films, including The Lion King, Beauty and the Beast, the previously mentioned Maleficent, Wake and Sleep and Beauty, and now Howard. And I, I didn't know what to expect going into this because I didn't know if they would focus primarily on his work with Disney or if they would actually try to incorporate more of his his life before Disney as well because he did do a lot of broad well not Broadway but off-Broadway theater productions before Mm -hmm. he started working with Disney towards the end of his career and I wasn't sure if they were going to include that or if they were just going to include his Disney stuff but they did do a good job uh, the mo- the runtime for this movie is a little over 90 minutes, and I think about the first 45 minutes is covering his life before Disney, so they really get- did a good job of-, of balancing out the Disney stuff with the with the non-Disney stuff. 
Yeah, no, that was that was really cool to see. I didn't. I knew he was a part of like the little shop of horror things. You know, what? I don't think I've actually ever seen that movie or anything like that. So I the, like the little shop of horrors movie. I I have seen. I don't think I've seen it the whole way through, but I've seen bits and pieces of it when I was younger. But I've never sat down mm-hmm. and watched it fully the whole way through. Okay, yeah, no, I've I've never seen it before. So and I, what I, I just kind of and what I learned ahead. from this movie too. Sorry to cut you off, but. What what I learned from Howard is the fact that, you know, Little Shop of Horrors was actually his adaptation of, like, a 1950s film. I had no idea that there was an original Little Shop of Horrors movie before the one that came out with Rick Moranis based on, based on the off-Broadway play. I had no idea. So this, this movie was a good introduction to that for me, learning that there was actually another version of Little Shop of Horrors. Yeah, yeah, I didn't know about that either, right? I thought it was just the one with Rick Moranis and stuff. Yeah. I mean, th- it was great seeing, like, all of that stuff, and there's there's something that really stuck in my head when his sister was talking about, what was it, where they were, like, building, where he was building stuff or something like that, and, like, you see, like, it was kind of like a small, what what he would want as, like, an amusement park type thing. Yeah, you know yeah, so ba- basically the movie, the movie starts off showing the recording sessions from Beauty and the Beast, and so the clip is dated June 8th, 1990. Happy birthday to my friend Brandon Barbeau, because his birthday's June 8th, so that would have been recorded on his sixth birthday. So, happy sixth birthday past, Brandon. But yeah, so they started off showing the clip of him in the recording studio for for Beauty and the Beast, and then it went into his sister talking about them growing up, as you said, and, you know, she mentioned the fact that they were left alone a lot of the time. It wasn't specified why, like, I don't know if the parents were home and, like, they just weren't watching the kids or the parents were off working. But his sister said that they were left alone a lot of the time. And so Howard, I believe, was the older sibling. I believe his sister is younger. And Howard would, you know, go up to his room and just make these elaborate scenes with his toys and whatever sort of material he could use as costumes. And then he would bring her up to his room and then he would tell her like these elaborate stories based on the scenery that he had created. Yeah, I know. It was it was really good. I really liked it. And seeing everything, all those like behind the scene things there, like you have that one, that's from Beauty and the Beast, right? Yes, this is from or the is Beauty from... and the Beast recording sessions, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, that was that was awesome. Uh, the, when, especially when they get into it later on with Angela Lansbury. And, and Jerry stuff. Orbach, yeah. Yeah, that was really cool. But yeah, so they, they talk about him spending time with his with his sister, they talk a little bit about him spending time with his father and like they mention the fact that Howard wanted to get into like dance and everything, but his his father thought he should be trying more traditional boys type stuff like sports and, and other stuff of that nature. And Howard just didn't take to it. And they also like I, bu- I believe his sister is still talking at this point. Might have been his mother, because I know they had both his sister and his mother on for this documentary. And I can't remember which one, but one of them was telling the story about how one day Howard's dad tried to take him fishing. And they pretty much just sat there for like an hour and a half, two hours. And neither one of them really enjoyed it, because neither one of them really wanted to be there. And Howard especially didn't want to be there, because that wasn't really his thing. But, yeah. but like, as... I think it was his mother telling the story. And as she said, like, his dad was, like, sort of forcing it. And, like, his dad could even tell that it felt forced and and that neither one of them was enjoying it because of that. So they eventually just picked up the rods and, and came back home. And then from there, it talks about his time going off to university. I believe he I believe he went to Indiana State University. I think so. And. Not that, 100% sure. And that's where, that's where he first met his first real partner, or at least that's what the, what the movie made it seem like is just a, a guy named Stuart. I can't remember what they said Stuart's last name was. I know they did mention it, but they both had this, this love and passion for, for theater. 
and Howard Howard basically wanted to be the the playwright and Stewart wanted to be the the director and through through that mutual love of theater they sort of bonded and became a couple and coincident they bring up in the, they bring up in the movie coincidentally both Howard and Stewart were from Baltimore, Maryland, but neither one of them had ever met during their time in Baltimore. It wasn't until they got to Indiana State University, and that's when they teamed up with a bunch of other theater people, and they sort of started making their own theater productions, sort of mini theater company at the university. Mm -hmm. And that was probably the last of the notes. So if there's anything that you want to add, because from there I just kind of... (laughs) From there, I just kind of watched the movie. I was trying to take notes. Like, I watched this movie three times in the last three days since it's been released. And every time I, every time I tried to take notes, I just ended up getting distracted and, and just ended up, up enthralled in watching the movie instead. Yeah, I have no, no notes because <laughs> I, too, was just kind of enthralled watching it. But I was also distracted with something else while watching it. I've only watched it once. But I was I, like I was watching it, and then I was distracted by something, so that's why it took me longer because I kept pausing it to not be distracted while what, watching was it, it. Was it was it the Leafs losing? Was that what you were distracted by? No, Game Changer Wrestling was doing a live live video feed of selling merch again. Oh, uh, well, <laughs> actually, sorry to pause it, but just speaking of wrestling for one sec, and going back to shoutouts from earlier, I forgot to shout out Anthony Kingdom James who sent us like just this rough sketch of our uh, uh, of our wrestling podcast. He just did like a rough sketch logo for us and it was awesome. So shout out to him for that. Yeah, that was really cool. I didn't even know he was going to do that. It was just he's just like, "Hey, I I woke up and I had that message. I was like, cool. That's pretty awesome." <laughs> I'm like, "Did you do that?" He's like, "Yeah, I had some extra time." <laughs> I'm like, "That's really cool." Sorry, I just got a notification. My food's on the way. <laughs> so Josh, Josh may have to step out in a minute to to grab no, no, food. No, no, no. But no, no, no. My, that's what my sister and dad are here for. <laughs> so anyway, so from from there, they they talk about Howard doing all the theater stuff, and eventually that led to him wanting to do an adaptation of the novel God Bless You, Mr. Fuck, I have to look up the title. I thought I could remember it without looking at it, but I Roosevelt? I think it was Roosevelt. Give me one sec. Rosewater, sorry. So there, there was a book called God Bless You, Mr. Rosewater, and Alan wanted to adapt that into an off-Broadway play, and that's where he met... Alan Menken for the first time and again at this time Howard was still primarily considering himself a, a, a scriptwriter for plays and Alan Menken was a was a composer and and songwriter at the time and so I forget the name of the person that introduced Alan to Howard but basically upon the first meeting Alan was saying that Howard had all these ideas for for the for the lyrics and everything and Howard basically told him I want to write the lyrics which kind of I I forget how Alan described it it wasn't shocked but by the by the way he's talking you can tell he was shocked that this that this playwriter wanted to write the lyrics for the music as well and so you know Alan agreed to let Howard do the do the lyrics, but he figured that, you know, Howard really wouldn't know what he was doing, so he would he would sit in with Howard while he was writing the lyrics and give him pointers here and there. And it ended up being Howard that gave Alan the pointers on on, on writing the lyrics for the play and how he wanted things done. And again, to use the word shocked, Alan was sort of shocked with how thorough and how how great of a lyricist Howard actually was, and how you then get a, a an audio clip of Howard talking, and Howard's talking about how he'd always wanted to write lyrics, but he was afraid to, and doing the lyrics for this play really made him realize that he enjoyed writing lyrics more than he enjoyed writing plays because you know when you're writing a play you envision it a certain way and then you're giving it over to somebody else to write the music 
and you know they may not have the same vision as you and as howard as howard says in this audio clip like he finally he finally thought to himself why am i giving the lyrics to to other people i know what i want from them why don't i just do it myself and then that's essentially how how howard ended up becoming a lyricist yeah no that was that was really interesting to to see like because Mencken was was definitely like the lyricist and the composer there, and then it was just it's it's very it's very well done. This how it how it goes is showing him doing different things with the playwriting, and he was doing something else too. Was I think it was before that where he was writing something for Disney, wasn't he? Yeah, something something for like a Mickey Mouse clubhouse clubhouse something yeah, yeah. like a, a and, scrapbook or something i can't remember exactly yeah, what it was it was it was something about that and, and he, like he he's doing it but he's he's talking about how it's not what he wanted to do yeah but he was just, but he was it was something hap- it was something to get him through the day right yeah yeah i remember that part like it was it, and then but yeah to see him and alan Macon start working together was just fantastic there yeah, and to to see them to see them working together like so early on because like <laughs> I I <Sorry>. I <laughs> the picture <laughs> yeah <laughs> but Bacon's glasses <laughs> yeah and and Howard's mustache <laughs> yeah <laughs> but yeah so like I knew they had worked on Little Shop of Horrors together, right? But I I didn't know that they had worked previously together before then. So, anyways, the the play the play God bless you, Mister Mister Rosewater. The the author of the book unexpectedly came into a rehearsal one day, and everyone was absolutely nervous because they didn't know he was gonna gonna be there, and. By the end, by the end of the rehearsal for the play, the the author absolutely loved it. So everyone was feeling upbeat and positive. And then came time to do, and then and then came time to do like an audition for the for like producers for people to put their money into the show. And everyone felt absolutely fan like all all the people involved with the play, the actors, the actresses. The writers, everyone involved thought that it was really, really good. No, wait, am I confusing this with Smile? Yes, I'm confusing this with Smile. Sorry, sorry. I, I honestly can't remember what ended up happening to God bless you, Mr. Mister Rosewater. We need to go watch this movie again, Dave. I know, and I've already <laughs> watched it three times. I, 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 Like I said, I should have taken notes, but I just kept getting so enamored with it. But anyways... So after God Bless You, Mr. Rosewater, Howard, Howard did an adaptation for a play. I can't, I think it was based off of a movie called, yeah, based off of a movie called Smile. And with this one, he wasn't working with Alan Menken. He was working with somebody else. And they talk about how Howard and this person were constantly clashing. They just didn't see things eye to eye. Like they, they, they got along fi- like they got along fine but just lyrically and the direction of the play they sort of had disagreements about and this is actually where Howard first met Jody Benson she she auditioned for this play and, and got a part in it and so even though Howard even though Howard and this other person that was involved in the play and again I can't remember his name I'm so sorry I should have written it down I'm gonna be saying that a lot, and I'm gonna kick, be kicking myself in the ass a lot for not taking notes. But so, even though they, there was this infighting, everyone felt really good about the play, and the time was coming to audition the play for the critics and producers to in in order to get back in and to get the funds to actually produce it and put a run of it onto onto Broadway, and. So they they did the audition and everybody felt great about it. Everyone thought it went well. And then they went to like the New York Press Building afterwards and waited on the critics' reviews and the critics just didn't like it whatsoever. And so like nobody ended up backing the play or putting money into it financially. And they even say in the movie that Howard wasn't used to hearing no. Like, Howard was used to getting what he wanted, 
and just hearing that hearing the fact that people didn't enjoy this production and that they weren't going to put the money into it which essentially meant that there wasn't going to be a run of it on on Broadway like that just absolutely devastated him yeah it kind of boggles my mind like how to see the things that he's done right it's like how how could you not do something that he that he's so passionate about right yeah yeah and i mean I don't think anyone will ever understand critics and and their decisions on what to give good ratings to and what to basically trash and decide isn't isn't watchable. I don't think anyone will ever understand that, but it is what it is and it happened. So there's really not much you you can do about it. And so anyways, during this time, too, while all this is happening and Howard's doing stuff for Broadway and off-Broadway, he ends up breaking up with, with his with his boyfriend, Stuart, essentially just because, you know, Stuart ended up basically becoming lazy. He wasn't as driven for success as Howard was. He was more interested in going out and partying and, and having, like, sexual gratification Rather yeah, especially than, once they moved to New York. Yeah, yeah. They they brought that up in the movie. Like he just he just wanted to live that New York lifestyle, right? Especially in the seventies and eighties where, you know, it was like just they they bring up in the movie like a lot of high crime in New York at that time, but also just everywhere at that time, not not just in New York, but everywhere there was like a lot of drug uses. You still had the the remnants of the free love movement from the 60s. So you still had a lot of people that were being sexually promiscuous. And then you mix that with the drugs. And it's just it sometimes not the best combination. <laughs> and so Stuart fell into that. <laughs> Stuart fell into that trap. And, and Howard, you know, ended up uh, leaving him. And because... He, he knew that Stuart wasn't, wasn't going to be good for him relationship wise and wasn't going to be good for him career wise either. Yeah. No, that, that, that happened. And, and one of the things that they, um, they talked about as well was that the studio that they, or the, the, that they had started together, WPG, I think it was. Howard had said that that was partly to try to save the relationship. Yes. Obviously yeah. That didn't, that didn't happen. So. Anyways, eventually Howard met another guy named uh, named Bill Locke. I, I think his last yeah. name's Locke. L A U C H. So I I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. But he he ended up meeting this guy named Bill Locke, and they sort of were in sync with each other. And you know they they ended up being together until Howard's eventual passing. But getting back to to smile so after smile didn't pan out howard was disappointed but he he still wanted to try something else and he wanted to do something that wasn't going to have that big of a cast he wanted to keep it to a maximum of an eight member cast and so that's when little shop of horrors came about and he he got the he got the inspiration as I said earlier from this 1950s movie that up until I watched this documentary I had no idea existed and so he ended up teaming up, he, he he teamed up with Alan Menken again and they both did the the music the composition the lyrics for for Little Shop of Horrors and you know it it met some it met success it i i don't think it was as successful as as howard envisioned it being on on off broadway but but it was a lot more critically accepted and it did end up turning into a movie as we mentioned starring rick moranis and steve martin and yeah didn't didn't they want to take that to to Broadway and he that was something he was very adamant about that he didn't want to yes yeah yeah he wanted to keep it off Broadway and I if I'm not mistaken I think that's what ended up causing the the short run of that is because the producers and the people with the money that that backed the show wanted to move it to Broadway and 
he he knew it wasn't going to work in a Broadway setting. He knew it it was only going to work off Broadway in a smaller, more intimate setting. Uh, yeah. So he was very adamant about keeping it there. But like I said, the the they did turn his adaptation into a, a, another movie starring Rick Moranis and Steve Martin, and that got critically acclaimed. It's become a huge cult classic, and they even show a clip of Roger Ebert reviewing the film, and he brings up the fact that it's very Rocky Horror Picture-esque. Like, it was the first movie since Rocky Horror Picture Show to do what Rocky Horror Picture Show had done. Like, it mixes horror and comedy and music all together so well. And I believe the Broadway production for, for Little Shop of Horrors ended up getting like, like the album for the, for the cast recording, I think ended up getting a Grammy or nominated for a Grammy because in the movie they do talk about Howard taking Bill on their first date to the Grammys because he was nominated for Little Shop of Horrors. So I, 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 Right. I, I'm pretty sure it was the, the, the off Broadway that was nominated and might have been the movie, but I think it was the off Broadway. And I'm not sure if he ended up winning or not. I think he did. Uh, I think that was the first of many, many awards for, for Howard Ashman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, I remember that because he asked him, he's like, Hey, you want to go to on a date? And Bill was it Bill or Bill? Huh? Bill. Yeah. Yeah, Bill. Bill's like, sure. And then he's like, okay, cool. Well, I'm going to the Grammys. Would you like to come? And he's like, uh, okay. That's, what a way to, that's a first date. But. That's definitely a first date there, eh? Yeah, no, that's some first date. I'd love to have my first, I would have loved to have a first date been an award show. But. Not any award show, but the Grammys. Well, I mean, I would, I would be happy with, with any award show, to be honest. That red carpet treatment, I, I'd be happy with that. But during, during the time of Little Shop of Horrors, Howard found out that his, his former partner, Stuart, had been diagnosed with AIDS. And at that time, it wasn't even called AIDS. It wasn't even called HIV. Like, I, 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 Growing up in the, in the late 80s, early 90s, probably more so the early 90s is when I had my childhood where I can actually recall things. I can remember like the AIDS pandemic being called the gay pandemic, but I didn't realize yeah. that before like they even had the name AIDS or HIV, they were calling it the gay cancer. Yeah. Like that's, that's pretty fucked up. That's so fucked up. And, like that that's what they called it the the gay cancer I, like when i first heard that i just i was at a loss for words i mean like i said i know during the late 80s and early 90s that they did refer to it as the gay pandemic but to have it called the gay cancer that's just such a disrespectful slap in the face yeah that was pretty fucked up when i heard that i was like sorry they're calling it the what now yeah exactly exactly and so Howard finds out that, that Alan, or not Alan, sorry, Stuart has what at the time was referred to as gay cancer. And so he called a couple of his close personal friends that had worked with him and Stuart in the, in, in the, in the little theater group at Indiana State University. And he's like, Hey, did, did you hear about Stuart? And so they, they talk about how Howard's, anger towards Stuart turned into sort of more remorse because he realized as much as he hated Stuart for the the life direction that he decided to take with with the with the party and 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 stuff rather than focusing on on the theater career there was still a deep love there at one point so mm-hmm. basically Howard Howard spent a, a bunch of time with Stuart while he was dealing with this before Stuart eventually ended up passing away. But yeah, like, and at that time, they even say it later in the movie, but it's true. At that time, AIDS, HIV, that was a death sentence. Yep. Today's day and age, it's very much manageable and it's obviously still not curable, but it's manageable. They have drugs and treatments and stuff that you can take for it. And I believe the statistic they raised in the movie at the time is that 
one in five people that were diagnosed with AIDS were going to die from it. So that's like, you know, when you think, when, when you think about it, a 20% chance that's compared to a lot of other diseases, that's such a high risk. Yeah, no, that's fucking, that's crazy. I didn't know about that stat. I mean, I, 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 it was, it was crazy to hear some of the things that, you know, happened to him and like Stuart and everything. Right. Yep. Yep. And then, so obviously Howard was taking some time off because this was like some devastating news, even though he was riding high with sort of the success of Little Shop of Horrors at the, at the movies. And it was around this time that Jeffrey Katzenberg called him and they bring up in the film Your that... Your favorite. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Katzenberg. But they, they bring up in the film that Katzenberg had been trying to court Alan or Howard for a while and had been trying to get him to come over to work with Disney for a while. And so he called him and he was finally able to, to get Howard to, to come over and work on a project. Then after, after he goes to work with Disney, they talk about him working on Little Mermaid. And so this is, this is the one thing that I was disappointed with in Waking Sleeping Beauty. And again, in this documentary, seeing as how we just covered Oliver and Company and Howard's first song with Disney was the opening title song for Oliver and Company, but it was not brought up in this movie. They just went straight to him working on, on Mermaid. Little Mermaid. Right, right, right. But I would love, I remember you talking about that. I would love to know his involvement with, with Oliver and Company and like just the, I, I would love to see some of the clips with him doing that. They just jumped right into right into his working on Little Mermaid. Yeah, no, I, I remember I remember you talking about that the other week about the Oliver and Company. It was Once Upon a Time in New York City, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, I remember that. Yeah. No, they jumped right into Little Mermaid with him and Alan Menken coming in and the studio recordings with Jody Benson. Yep. And yeah, no, that, they went right in, straight into that. And I think around that time is when the doctor wanted him to get tested. Not right away. Not right away. It was probably closer to the end of production, if I remember cor- correctly. But from here on out, the movie t- tends to use a lot of foot, not a lot, but quite a bit of footage that was also used in, in Waking Sleeping Beauty. So you see, you see them telling the story of, of Howard coming up with part of your world. Just like we saw in Waking Waking Sleeping Beauty, and and Katzenberg wanted to cut it. Oh God, we'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> and so, fuck, I, I lost my train. Oh, and you 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 see him, you see a clip of him. And in in the Waking Sleeping Beauty film, they they only had a brief. I think it was maybe like a ten second clip of of, of this, but. You, you, in this film, in Howard, it's much longer, probably about 20 seconds. You see him sitting down with the, with the animators, with the writers, with the people involved in the movie and telling them about writing the music and creating a want song for your lead character. Basically, as Howard describes it, it's a song where your lead character tells the audience exactly what she wants. And it's a song that drives the plot of the movie going forward from that point. Yeah, now I'm having other songs just flash in my head, like Go the Distance from Hercules. <laughs> but, and, and like one of the, you even get an audio clip of one of the animators afterwards saying, wait, what? What's it? What? He's like, it's, <laughs> it, and he's like, it's so simple, like having the character explain what they want to drive the plot, and yet, None of us had ever thought of it. And so, like, and, and the animator even says, is, this is something that we should probably already know, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so they show, they show him doing that. And then they also, <laughs> they cut to a clip of, of Howard and, and Alan. And Alan's talking about how, how, because they're doing an interview. I don't know who they were doing an interview with. And and Alan says that you should really hear Howard sing his version of the Witch's Song, which is Poor Unfortunate Soul by, by Ursula. 
And of course, then we get an audio clip of, of Howard singing the demo version of Poor Unfortunate Soul. And, you know, in that same interview with, with Alan, Howard says, he doesn't know what it is about villains, but it's just so much more fun to write the songs for the villains. Like, he says, everybody wants to write the song for, for Captain Hook rather than writing the song for Peter Pan because it's just much more fun. And then he talks about how, you know, Poor Unfortunate Soul really helped to drive the, the story forward as well because, you know, at the be he brings up the fact that at the beginning of Poor Unfortunate Soul, Ariel doesn't even know who Ursula is. And by the end of the song, Ariel is a human. Um, I don't know if Josh is still with me. Josh? Oh, I think your fucking mic cut out again. But anyway, so Howard is talking about, you know, how at the beginning of Poor Unfortunate Souls, like, Ariel doesn't even know who Ursula is, and then by the end of it, you know, she knows exactly who Ursula is, and she's now also, Ariel is now also human. Yeah. She's human now, and... That song is just kind of... I, I can see the appeal of writing for a villain than writing for, like, a hero, hero. I guess, yeah. right? Yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, hell, your your favorite song from Descendants is from a villain, right? Well, I mean, my my favorite song from Descendants is from, like, one of the only people that can actually sing throughout that series and, and doesn't use a shit ton of, of fucking auto-tune. But we're not talking about <laughs> Descendants right now. <laughs> So, uh, <laughs> sorry, so, <laughs> it's just so funny. So then, then, then we get to again. We get to part of your world, and they go on to talk about you know the screen test and how the 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 screen test for part of your world wasn't working well because it's a it's a slow it's a slow moving it's a slow paced song where where Ariel talks about what she wants and what her hopes and dreams are and there's not a lot of action going on it's it's a it's very still imaged and slow paced in terms of the dialogue and the music and of course they're screen testing this with children and children get fidgety if they're not constantly bombarded with with images and stuff right so they even call it the the wiggle test in the movie and mm -hmm. I, I can't remember who was talking. I it, I guess it was one of the animators, and they were they were saying like everyone knows the wiggle test, and you could tell from the screening that this wasn't passing the wiggle test. And then afterwards, Jeffrey Katzenberg wanted to to you know cut the song, and Howard was yeah. like, "No, I will choke you if you cut the song." <laughs> yeah, he's like over my dead body, like I'll choke you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then yeah, that's how that went. And oh man, that was that. That is also something that they kind of covered in uh, in Waking Sleeping Beauty was how, how Katzenberg wanted to cut that. Yes, but that but, is really like the heart and soul of that movie. But what wasn't what wasn't included in Waking Sleeping Beauty that they included in this movie is that one of Howard's friends, who was also with him while he was working at Disney was using the copier one day and she found a, a memo that was left behind in the copier and she was going to go take it and try to find out who the memo belonged to and then it was basically she read it and it was basically just a memo detailing like all the issues with with Howard being sort of stubborn and and problematic and, and big-headed and like they even raised the question in the memo should we fire Howard in the end, obviously, they didn't fire Howard, and part of your world was a success. It ended up working. It ended up getting nominated for an Academy Award, along with two other songs from from Little Mermaid. Under the Sea eventually ended up winning the Academy Award. And then, you know, before they get to the, the Academy Award parts, that's when they sort of started talking about, you know, how Howard was not, was starting to not really feel well. And, you know, he, he pretty much felt the inevitable that he might have AIDS. And at this point, they were, they were calling it AIDS, thankfully, because again, what they had previously been calling it is just horrible. awful, awful. Absolutely horrible. Like, that's just, um, it, it kind of makes me glad that we didn't grow up like 
in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Like, there are some cool things about those times, right? Yeah. But, like, just, just the way things were for for gay people and, you know, black still at that time. You know what I mean? Like, it's Yeah, just, and we'll, we'll, we'll get more into it with the gays in just a minute because they do end up covering a bit more of that towards the end of the movie. Yeah. Oh, yes, 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 they did. But... So Howard ends up going to his doctor and his doctor wanted to get him tested for AIDS. And, you know, he didn't want to, he didn't, he didn't want to because like he was afraid that if he got tested for AIDS, he would end up being fired from Disney. So originally, originally he didn't want to get tested because he was afraid that if it did come back positive, that he would lose his insurance. Yeah. Sorry. The insurance. Yeah. Well, not even if, not even if it came back positive, but at the time, like, a lot of insurance wasn't covering that. So, like, yeah. he was afraid that even just seeing the fact that he was tested for that, th- he would lose his insurance. Yeah, so exactly. that so that's, why, that's that. why they didn't even end up testing for that. They ended up, I, I forget what it actually was. What, uh, or what it was for his white blood cells or something like yeah, that? Yeah, but uh, there was an actual name, like a, a, a T-test or something. But yeah, it was basically a test to measure his white blood cell count, and the the test ended up coming back, and his white blood cell count was drastically low, and everyone yeah. obviously knew that it was AIDS, HIV, but Howard still wanted to keep it hidden. He only wanted to tell certain people. And yeah, that's why, and that's why he didn't want to tell. He didn't want people to know about it because that's where he was afraid to be getting fired from Disney because of how Disney was, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, not even just Disney, but like so many places at that time with with mm-hmm. that issue, right? Like, yeah, it, it wasn't just Disney; it was everyone that was sort of discriminating at that time. Yeah, but also the Disney, the portrayal that Disney was had for specifically for the way their company wanted their values, I guess, at that time. That's why he was also afraid of that, right? Yeah, but then then you also get to to. You, you you get clip of Alan talking and, you know, at this time they're, you know, they haven't yet gotten the accolades for Little Mermaid. Like the movie had been a success, but they haven't they haven't gotten the 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 award nominations or anything yet. And Alan is telling a story that they were working on the, the lyrics for Aladdin and, you know, Howard would get so frustrated just with the, just with like the quality of the, like obviously he was frustrated with what was going on and the fact that he, he was afraid to tell anyone that the littlest thing would set him off. And the instance that Alan talked about is that like Howard wasn't, wasn't happy with the quality of a mic that was recording on, on the Walkman that he had. And Alan pointed out that at the time, like the, the Walkman that Howard had was like the creme de la creme. Like it was top, mm. top of the line, best value sort of thing. But Howard, Howard wasn't happy with it. He wasn't happy with the sound. He just wasn't happy with everything. And he ended up taking the Walkman and just smashing it to pieces. And you, yeah. you, you have Alan, you know, telling the story about how he had to excuse himself. And he ended up, you know, he ended up walking to another room. He's like, I'll be back. I just have to, I just have to go I, I just have to step out for a minute and then you have alan talking about how he just like broke down and, and cried because he thought howard was like mad at him and yeah, yeah, yeah. and also just the fact that like he's losing it for no apparent reason a reason that's not apparent to alan at the time so alan's just there in another room breaking down crying and then you have howard that's frustrated just breaking shit in the recruit in the recording studio but then, then they get nominated for, for Little Mermaid for like Golden Globes and Grammy and, um, Oscars. And they ended up winning the Oscar, as I said. And, you know, at the after party, Howard goes up to Alan and says, you know, once we get back to New York tomorrow, we have to have a talk. And Alan talks about how at the time he thought like he had done something wrong, like that Howard was mad at him. And so, he went to see Howard in New York the next day and, and Howard was like, I'm, I'm sick. And I just want to say that I'm glad that you're taken care of. But that's when he basically told Alan what was going on. 
And Alan's like, just the realization and, you know, even he even started questioning, why did I even think that it was something with me? Like the thought didn't even cross my mind that something might be wrong with 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 Howard. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, other people from Disney started finding out, you know, they talk about how Howard ended up calling Jeff Katzenberg and telling Katzenberg about it. And Katzenberg was like understanding and he was asking he was asking Howard, like how his parents were handling the situation. And then you get a clip of Peter Schneider. Peter Schneider is also somebody that is featured a lot in Wake and Sleeping Beauty. But you, you get you get an interview with Peter Schneider and he talks about how he was he was basically pissed off at at Howard because he talks about how, you know, you don't put two and two together at at the time. Right. But he talks about during the 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 Little Mermaid recording sessions where Howard would just not show up for for the recording sessions and he'd make up like excuses as to why he wasn't there. And, you know, Peter Schneider brings up the fact that he was, like, pissed off because, as he said, like, if Howard had have made it known, they would have done what they could have to accommodate him. Like, they would have gone to yeah. him to make it easier yeah, they on would, him. They would have moved, yeah, they would have moved the production and the recording sessions to New York so Howard could have been there. Yeah. Right? And that's what, that's what Schneider was mad about. He's like, he's like, I get mad because, like, if we had known, we could have done something more for him. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that's what they ended up doing with Beauty and the Beast. They ended up moving the recording sessions to to Howard's home in, in upstate New York. Yeah. And, you know, that that's when we go back to the clip from the opening of the movie from June 8th, 1990, where you see... Sorry, I forget the actor and actress's name that played Belle and Gaston, but you see them recording recording their their parts for their songs and everything. And then you see clips of Jerry Orbach and and, and Angela Lansbury Angela just Lansbury. sort of shooting the shit with with the production team. And then in in the in the recording booth recording "Be Our Guest." And I this is what I love most about these type of movies is just like the behind the scenes stuff. Like seeing the recording, yeah. the recording process. And, you know, like even afterwards when Angela and Jerry were, were listening to the playback of their recording and you just see how into it Jerry is. Like you still see Jerry Orbach singing along as, as the recording is playing. And yeah. it, it was just such an amazing thing to see. Yeah. No, that was, that was really, really cool to see. I, I like that. I, I don't think I've ever seen any type of like, behind the scenes things like that and like he was he was so into it right? yeah and it was just yeah oh man but uh, we love disney more <laughs> <laughs> yeah i would i would love to see more stuff like this with the behind the scenes releases of of recordings and stuff yeah there's another couple of documentaries that i've seen that i want to or not that i've seen but i do want to watch like the one about the sherman brothers and frank and ollie yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Those, those are ones i definitely want to watch and probably cover here but so during the recording, during the the behind the scenes with the recording sessions and stuff, they're also talking about how Howard, you know, he could handle like five to six hours a day, but he couldn't handle long days. Yeah, they did a. He they couldn't handle. Yeah, they did he a couldn't handle call. like anything more than six hours. And they even bring, I think it was the director, one of the directors of the film. He's like, there. Or, no, it was the music supervisor of the film. There was one night where he wanted to record later because he knew that they were on a tight schedule and there was stuff that needed to get done. And Howard was basically like, I, I just, I can't do it. And that was when he was brought into the inner circle and was told what was going on and the fact that Howard was sick, that Howard had AIDS and that, you know, he just couldn't go more than a certain amount of time each day. Yeah. They they also did a phone interview. I don't, well, not not so much an interview, but a phone uh, phone call. They yeah, it, phone it, call it between... was it was Howard. It was Howard talking on the phone with the with the two directors for Aladdin. Yeah, and they're asking how, how are things going, and he's like, "Good, everything's going great." And they're like, "Well, how how are you?" Like he's like, "Oh, stamina wise, five or six hours. It's, I'm fine. It's not a problem." But I can't do the seven, eight hours. Once I hit that five, six hour mark, I get really tired. Yeah. Yeah. So, He's like, yeah. I can't really do anything more than more than six hours. Yeah. And so 
They talk about how he's getting, like, progressively worse as the recording sessions are going on, and then eventually he ends up being hospitalized to the point where, well, they, they, I'm going to skip over it mostly due to time, but they talk a little bit about how he was writing a song for Jafar in Aladdin yes. about how now that he has the power and he's taking it away from, from, from Aladdin, Aladdin. and he, he, Aladdin's losing all of his, all of his wishes and his powers one by one. And that was basically like how Howard was feeling as he was starting to lose his sight, his senses, everything was getting taken away from Howard. And they feel like that's, what he poured into that song was how he was feeling at the time. But basically, he ends up in the hospital, and his sight's gone, his voice is gone, and you hear all the different people from Disney, Jeffrey Katzenberg, other animators, Jody Benson, Alan Menken, talking about like their final visits. Even Don, Don Han, who produced yeah. the film, all their final visits to the hospital. And then you get a clip of, of Alan talking about you know he was he was sleeping one night and he had a dream and he dreamt that he was at he was at the hospital with with Howard and you know Howard was asking him to help him up so so Alan Alan Menken went over to Howard's bedside and helped him up and he said Howard was was weightless like in in the dream he was absolutely weightless and Alan woke up and he, he looked at the clock and it was like six something in the morning and he said like that's that's when Howard passed that was that was the day and time that Howard passed and you know basically Alan felt like that was Howard giving his final goodbye to Alan mm -hmm. that was that was uh that was kind of tough to hear about that part yeah I mean there were so many tough tough parts in this movie to deal with and like at the end they're talking about they're they're obviously talking about Beauty and the Beast still a little bit because that was the movie that was in production just set to release when when Howard passed and they're talking about Mob Song and you know they there are a couple people that talk about how that ties in with the AIDS pandemic at the time because there were a lot of people that you know again we said it earlier they called this the gay pandemic the gay disease and you know one 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 th they showed us still obviously they showed still images from different protests for both pro and anti gay protests but they showed this one sign that just fucking gut checked me and hit me super hard and i i forget the exact wording but it was something to the effect of god sent aids to punish gays for their sins and oh yep man like that that fucked me up like see, seeing that just absolutely fucked me up that i mean i it's sad to think that there are still people today that think shit like that both in, in terms of homosexuality and race equality like we see the stuff that's going on in the world right now but to see just how bad it was back then and just like how like Thank God popular opinion has changed between now and then. But the fact that that sign represented a majority of the uh, of the popular opinion back in the in, in the early 90s. It's just it's so fucking sad, man. Yeah, no, I, I, I got you. It was like, I don't know. It was just uh, I don't know what to say about that. day. It, it, it hit hard. I, like, I, feel, I feel you. I feel you. I feel you on that because like it's just. It's fucked up. Yeah, it's no, really it, fucked up. it just it it fucking hit hard. But you know, it it's it's a part of what was going on at, at the time, and uh, it definitely brought a lot more emotion to this film. Not that this film needed any more emotion to it, but obviously, it it is what it is. It's stuff that happened. But thankful, thankfully, it ended on on a positive note where you got a clip of of Howard singing. I forget which song he it was that he was singing at the at the end of the film. With the credits, yeah, it was part of your world. Part, uh, yeah, part of your world. I knew it was something from Little Mermaid. I, I I wanted to say Under the Sea, but yeah, no, it was part of your world. So it does end on a happy note of of, of Howard singing. 
and, and you know, it shows pictures of him as well as clips of, of the live action Disney remakes of like Beauty and the Beast and, and Aladdin. But man, this, this film was, was really, really good. A lot of emotions in it. We've been looking forward to this for a while and man, it did not disappoint. Josh, I'm going to go to you first for final thoughts and your rating for the film. I loved it. I'm going to have to rewatch it again. Not so distracted as I was this time because I, I do feel like I missed quite a, a bit of it. But like I did watch it and I really did enjoy it. It, it was keeping my attention once I turned off the other shit. <laughs> it was it was really it was really well done. I was again, I was super excited about this. And when it did come out, I was pretty happy to watch it. I still have it downloaded. I'm going to give it a solid eight. I'm going to go with an eight. Um, I liked it. Upon my first viewing of this film. I was absolutely set to give this a 10. Mm -hmm. The fact that I've rewatched it twice, there are some things that bring it down for me. The fact that they didn't talk about his his work on Oliver and company. company, which I would have loved to have seen. And something that also bothered me with Waking Sleeping Beauty is that all the interviews and stuff are old interviews and old audio clips. There's not a single sh like sit down interview shot done in like the current day with with the with the people close to to Howard. I would have loved to seen like modern day sit down clips with with Alan Menken, Alan Menken and Jeffrey Jody Katzenberg, Benson, Jody Benson. Katzenberg. Yeah, but it was all like past audio interviews, right? And it was a same. And it was the same thing with uh, with Wake and Sleep and Beauty. So this is obviously like Don Han's style of documentary filmmaking. Take nothing away from it because he's done a tremendous job on both of these documentaries, Wake and Sleep and Beauty and now Howard. But I would like to see him include some like modern footage, uh, uh, modern interview footage of, of people if he does do documentaries moving forward. So because of that, I'm not going to give it a 10. But I am still going to give this a nine and a half. That's that's fair, Dave. That's the highest one, right? That is, yeah. Hercules was a nine, but yeah, this is this is definitely this is as damn near perfect a, a, of a of a movie that I think we're going to <laughs> going to review. Yeah, no, it was it was it was really good. I wonder if maybe the the interviews with his sister might have been somewhat new, right? May I mean, even the Allen ones may have been new, but I would have liked to have seen like some visual like representation of the video, of the yeah, interviews yeah. mixed in. You know what I mean? Rather than just all audio. No, no, I, yeah, no, I hundred percent understand where you're where you're coming from, right? But I'm just thinking outside. Maybe that's those could have been some of the newer ones, right? Yeah, they very well could have been. But it, like I said, it's hard to tell, and I still would have liked to have seen uh, like some really, on-screen uh, uh, time with these people. Yeah, I wish we had something from like Eisner as well. Yeah, yeah, that, that Eisner was missing from this. That that would have been good. I mean, to be fair, Eisner was running the company, right? Whereas, whereas Katzenberg. Katzenberg was running the specific department of animation that Howard was doing the music for. So, but. Guys, we said it at the beginning of the show, like we're at an hour and 15 minutes right now. So we're going to wrap this up quickly because I can already tell my camera's going to cut out on me again. But <laughs> we said at the beginning of the show where to find us. We are on most social media platforms at Ocho Ortiz Disney on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Ocho and Ortiz Disney Pod, Instagram at Ocho and Ortiz Disney Pod, TikTok, just look for Ocho and Ortiz Disney Pod on there. And of course, we are available on most major podcasts and platforms, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and our main source of uploading is Podbean, Ocho and Ortiz, DisneyPod.Podbean.com. And again, this episode is going to come out on August 23rd, so as of this release, you will still have seven days to become our patron on Patreon, patreon.com slash Ocho and Ortiz DisneyPod. Everybody that becomes a patron in August gets entered for a chance to win the giveaway of a 101 Dalmatian thousand piece puzzle. Gives people something to do while you're still in quarantine, if you're still in quarantine. Other than that, you, if you can't donate through Patreon, we completely understand. Like we said, the best way you can help us for free is just by sharing the show with your friends, letting them know where they can find us, following us on social medias, and continuing 
to listen to this. And guys, if you have any feedback for the show, please leave us some comments. We'd love to hear it. And again, hopefully we'll have reached 300 downloads by the time this episode has aired or gets released. So thank you to everyone who's listened to this so far. And thank you to everybody who's going to continue to listen to this moving forward. Josh, before we go, any final words or thoughts? Oh, thanks for listening. I hope you guys enjoyed this review. I hope you guys enjoyed this movie. If you watched it, if you haven't, go watch it. And yeah, we'll talk to you again soon. Yep. And as always, guys, whether you're listening or watching this in the morning, the afternoon, the evening, whatever time of day it is, where you are, when you're watching or listening to this, we thank you for listening and watching. We appreciate you listening and watching. And we'll talk to you slash see you next time. Bye-bye. Is that me or you crunching? Oh, I think that's me. My mic got... Ah, okay. Mic got caught in the beard. That's what happened. I'm like, I'm not crunching nothing, dude. My, <laughs> no, food, is, my food is tucked in the container. I just heard there. a crunching sound. I'm like, what the fuck's going on? And it was my, my mic got caught near my beard, and my beard was rubbing against the mic. Uh, <laughs> whoops. Uh, so, and... and I'm actually just going to lower it a bit so that it doesn't get caught in the beard again. There we go. Okay, so...